Open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. And as we start the sermon, you might say a special prayer for the men in the nursery. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the real disappointments of being a pastor is I can never serve in the nursery. <laughs> but I understand that Clara is there. Clara Hughes. Clara Hughes, about this tall, and so she's probably in charge. And uh, <laughs> everything will be okay. Don't worry about your kids. One of them is even a doctor who's there today. So, I'm beginning what I hope will be the final major project in our 10-year home rehabilitation saga, the side and front yard. Our sidewalk is cracked and sinking. The driveway is, is falling apart. It's halfway to the other side of the earth. We worked on the backyard first, of course, though, because in order to get to the backyard in our house, you have to drive through the front yard. There's no way around, and so we've had to stage our work, and we're continuing to do that, uh, you know, working our way out, sort of like uh, as you do flooring, you, you work your way out to the door, not into the corner, and so we're doing that. Um, now that the backyard is pretty much done, we work on the side yard. And when the side yard is done, after we drive a tractor on it a few times, then we'll work on the front yard and, and so on until it's all in good shape. Most building projects require a certain order. You can't build the roof before you build the foundation. And when God tells us about the Christian life, He seems perhaps to even give us an order there. It's interesting what He says is first and what we ought to work on. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, and just to give you the background, in the first three and a half chapters, he sort of laid a whole series of groundwork issues, which has to do with some broad theological concepts about being born again and being in God's family, and, and that family being one. And now in verse 17, he turns his attention to a whole series of applications of that truth. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or the unsaved people do in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now just stop there a second. You see, here's the theme of what he's going to say for the rest of the book. He's laid the groundwork of salvation and being related to God, and he says, now, now that you know Christ, he said there are things to let go of, those ways of living that the unsaved have, and things to take a hold of, which are the ways of living of a Christian. What's the first thing he mentions in verse 25? 
Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth. And he's going to go on now to speak a whole series of things that have a lot to do with communication. Between Mother's Day and Father's Day, I love to focus on a topic that has a direct correlation to the family. And yet the, the, the topic of communication has much broader impact to our whole Christian life, to the church, to the family, to, to everything that we do. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to spend time here. And it's fascinating to me to understand that when God lays all of this groundwork about the Christian life, he says, now here's where you should start. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no, un, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to, to speak of those things, to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Throughout this great chapter, or parts of two chapters, are a whole series of instructions about how we communicate. And we're going to spend time in this passage in the next few weeks and try to understand, how does a Christian talk? And the first thing we need to understand today is this. Good communication comes from a good heart. Good communication comes from a good heart. Look at, again at verse 17, please. 
The whole nature of this instruction is the contrast between the way an unbeliever lives and the way a believer lives. Verse 17 says, Therefore, you should not walk any longer as the rest of the Gentiles. Now, if you're not familiar with the word Gentile in the Bible times, you need to understand that the word Gentile was... A, was there were two categories of people to the Jewish mind. There were Jews, God's chosen people, and there were non-Jews. That's the way we would say it today. The word Gentile really means non-Jew. Now, the people in Ephesus were predominantly Gentiles. And so he's writing to them, and he's saying, Now look, you folks, you're non-Jewish Christians. Stop living like the rest of the non-Christians around you, the rest of the Gentiles, the non-believers. You should no longer walk. Clearly there is an inference that before Christ, before salvation in an individual's life, everybody lives in sin. And he says, once you come to Christ, stop walking like the rest of the unbelievers walk. There are a great many aspects to our communication and our behavior that are normal. It's the way everybody talks. It's the way everybody acts. And oftentimes as Christians, we look around ourselves and we say, I'm not that bad. And that's true. If your standard of judgment is the average of the unsaved world. See, we would look at somebody who's really wicked, somebody like a sailor who really knows how to cuss. And we say, I don't cuss like a sailor. See, now, when you were on that carrier, I'm guessing you didn't cuss like a sailor. That's right. Okay. And so he might have been tempted to say, I'm pretty good. Because I don't cuss like a sailor. I cuss like a farmer. <laughs> See, there are farm words. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Dutch cuss words. He says, look, stop living like the rest of the Gentiles. Because here's how they live, verse 17. They live in the futility of their mind. What is, what is the futility of the unsaved mind? The futileness or the uselessness is they've tried to devise a way of life, but it is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere in this life, and it's certainly not going to go anywhere in the next life. So stop living the way they live out of their mind because their understanding, verse 18, has been darkened. They're alienated from the life of God. They have ignorance because of the blindness of their heart. They are past feeling. They've given themselves over to certain lewdness, to work uncleanness with greediness. Those who are not yet in Christ walk in sin. Turn back a page to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you he has made alive who were, before you came to Christ, you were controlled or dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, the apostle Paul including himself there, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. I have a friend who has a new boxer puppy. Cutest thing you ever seen. The, the coat is just smooth and slick and shiny on that dog. Mm, almost made me want to get a dog again. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. Our dog, who went on to his reward a couple years ago, was part boxer. And so he, he did this play thing with his feet, and that, that's a boxer thing. That's why they're called boxers. They like to play with their feet. Well, my friend is taking his dog to the office and wants his dog to be in the office and to be under control. And so he's training him not to play with his feet, not to you know, jump up and kind of you know, do that thing that's so fun that I love to do. And, and he goes, come on, I'm trying to train the dog. <laughs> it's the dog's nature to act a certain way. That's, what, that's why it's a boxer. It is the nature of sinners to sin. It's natural. It just comes right out without any training. Jesus put it this way. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorn bushes, and they don't gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. The good news is that those who have believed in Christ have been given a new righteous nature. Turn back to Ephesians 4 verse 24. And he says, you should put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. This familiar verse says it the same, slightly differently. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So do you want to get control of your mouth. The first question you have to answer is this. Do I have the nature of a sinner or the nature of God? Do I have God's heart in me? You can't make your own heart good, but God can change your heart. God can replace the blindness that is there God can give you the new nature of Christ. And once we have a new heart, we have to press on from there and do what this passage is telling us and say, am I living in that new heart? Look again at verse 17. He says, don't live like the unbelievers... And then we drop down a little bit farther, verse 20, you have not learned to live like the unbelievers, and here's what you have learned, that you should put off your former conduct and put on, verse 24, the new man. So the second question you have to ask is this, if I have a new heart in Christ, 
the question is, am I living like my old sinful nature or am I living in my new nature in Christ? This is not just a question about communication. It's much broader than that. In fact, it's so broad that you have to say, am I trying to allow sin into part of my life while uh, keeping the rest of my life righteous? If this held some sin, some chocolate, and I say, I'm diabetic, but I think I can put the chocolate right here, and everything will be fine. You'd say, don't do that, Dave, because that chocolate will affect how much of your body? All. If you are a diabetic, you have to say no. You can't allow part of it in to harm you. If you're a believer, you have to say, here is my life. Now, right here I have a real favorite sin. What am I going to do with that sin? I've got to push it out. Because if I allow sin to stay in me, then I am not living in Christ. I'm living in the old life. The Christian life is a whole life proposition. Now, this doesn't mean perfection, but sometimes when we say that, what we mean is, I'm going to give myself an excuse. You know, because, well, Pastor Dave, no one's perfect. That's right, including Pastor Dave. Does that mean you get to, does that mean you get to keep this thing in your pocket? And say, well, nobody's perfect. No. Because here's God's standard of perfection. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. God knows that a brand new Christian has not mastered this book. Does that mean God isn't going to convict you about sin? Oh no, he's going to convict you. And as you get up in the morning, God's going to go, hey, see that? Yeah, I see that. Fix that. And then you have a choice to make. Am I going to take that out of my life? Or do I love it so much I'm going to hang on to it? God says, you take it out and put it down and walk away. And although you are not perfect like Christ, you are living up to the light that you have. And so you're walking in the new man. Let go of the old sinful man. Embrace the new righteous man. And say, God, I want to have that kind of a heart. Good communication comes from good hearts. Secondly, good communication comes from good wisdom. Good communication comes from good wisdom. Turn with me, please, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. It's right after the book of Hebrews, right before 1 Peter. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is a sermon on the topic of communication, in particular for those who stand up to teach God's Word. But it has application, obviously, to us all. It's a great chapter to memorize, because it, it 
it reads like a, like a sermon, if you will. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. You see that? We're not perfect. <laughs> if anyone does not stumble in his word, he is a perfect man, able also then to bridle the whole body. Could it be that controlling your mouth is the key to self-discipline? Is that what God is saying? Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members or the parts of our body that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring send forth both fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. This is the problem he has presented. He's saying, look, your communication needs to be righteous. You can't be half righteous and half sinful. That's like having half salty water and half not salty water. And if you ever want to know where the term salty comes from in, res in respect to communication, that's pretty salty communication. It comes from right here. He says, can it be half and half? No, it's either salty or not salty. No middle ground there. So what is the solution? The solution to the communication problem is verses 13 through 18. Who then is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, God's wisdom, is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Verses 1 through 12 in this chapter define the problem of the tongue and verses 13 through 18, the solution. And so what is the solution? The real positive element in the solution is verse 17. If your communication is going to be godly, your wisdom has to be godly. You do not speak without thinking. I know we say that all the time. You should think before you speak. No, what that really means is this. You have allowed your words to come out under autopilot from your brain. And what you have actually said is what you think. You thought it somewhere and it came out. 
If you don't understand the physiology, you should check it out, but your mouth cannot work by itself. We really need to understand that, folks, because whatever we say comes from what we think. And I understand that we are greater than just a, it's not just gray matter, it's heart, it's soul, it's our whole inner person. But your inner person is either built on godly wisdom or, heaven forbid, do you see that the wisdom of the world is actually demonic? Did you ever get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to talk like the devil himself? Now we would look at communication like, like cussing like a sailor. Or something like that. We say, well, obviously that's really ungodly. Well, it is. But there's much more ungodly communication than just cursing or obscenities. And God says there is wisdom that comes from the devil, and there is wisdom that comes from God. What does the wisdom that comes from God look like? Well, first of all, it looks like it's pure. The word pure literally means uncontaminated. It's used a number of times in the scripture, and I think this, this verse defines it better than anything else. Let everyone who has, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. What's the context? The context is one of us seeing Christ face to face. He says, it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but when we see him, we will be like him. And everyone who has that hope purifies himself like Christ is pure. So if you want to know whether your wisdom is from God or from man, ask yourself, is this pure like Christ is pure? Now that's a, that's a tall goal for us, but it has to be the plan and goal of our thinking and our communication. Is, are my thoughts pure like Christ's thoughts? When you have a joint replaced, like a partial knee joint like I have had, you not only gain a new, stronger joint, you gain a new susceptibility to infection. When I got my teeth cleaned a few weeks ago, I had to take antibiotics before I could get my teeth cleaned. Because, for some reason that I don't understand, and I don't know if the doctors do or not, but if, there, if an infection comes into my body internally, it'll go straight to that knee joint. Okay? Um, our bodies are a unified whole. Apparently the infection won't just sit here. <laughs> it runs throughout the body. Our heart, our soul, our inner man are a unified whole. We cannot tolerate sin in one area and expect to act righteously in another area. Pure. If you want to have godly communication, have pure thoughts. And then peaceable. Peaceable. Sue's brother-in-law served in the Navy back in the Vietnam era. And when the ship would come to shore, sometimes he would be assigned to shore patrol. That's, that's Navy police, sort of, for those of you who don't know. And he told a story about some fellow that he did shore patrol with who loved to fight. He said he'd sit there by that radio and he'd just wait for them to say there was a fight in a bar. And he said he'd grab his nightstick and say, come on, let's go! 
And, and, and her brother-in-law would just kind of stand back and say, go right ahead there, brother. And he'd just wait in there because he loved to fight. Okay? A lot of us don't like to fight physically. But the question we have to ask is, do we like to fight with our words? The wisdom that is from above is peaceable. And so the communication is given with the spirit of how can we be at peace? What could I say to, to bring this together? Now that's not the same as just falling on your sword all the time. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm such a mess up, I always mix. No, that's not peace. But neither is me coming on for the attack every time I talk. I either come... Now, what's the contrast here? Would you look with me at verse 14? What's the contrast between godly wisdom and ungodly? The ungodly wisdom, verse 14, is based in bitter envy and self-seeking. When it comes to my thoughts and my communication, I have to say, am I coming into this conversation trying to make peace? Look at verse 18. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace... By those who make peace. Am I coming in peaceably saying, how can we love each other and get along and be together in this family, in this workplace, in this church? Is the goal of your thoughts peace or is the goal of your thoughts self-service? The third element here is the word gentle. The word gentle. The NIV uses the word considerate. When I think of the word gentle, I think of handling a baby. I remember once when our son was about three years old, he decided he was going to pick up one of the girls. They, they would have been, you know, well into baby size, you know, small. And we didn't know about his great thought until he was halfway across the room. And you know what we thought. <laughs> don't drop that baby, you know. Because a three-year-old doesn't know how to be gentle with the baby. Gentleness. The Apostle Paul talked about gentleness. We were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now, I understand there are some mothers who have some difficulties and get things wrong, but the vast majority of moms that I see, when they have a baby, they are just gentle. And, oh, what could I do for this baby? And how could I care for this baby? And this baby is so wonderful and needy and so on. God says, the wisdom that comes from God is gentle. How did Jesus deal with the disciples? I mean, if ever there was anybody who should have been frustrated, it was Jesus. Now, there were a couple of times when he rebuked them, no doubt. But what we read here of those handful of times when he had to rebuke them, they were together for three years. He was gentle. The scripture talks about him being gentle and meek. The fourth element is willing to yield. Um, in the King James, it says, easy to be entreated. And the New International uses the word submissive. Um, do you keep an open mind and an open heart 
when you're talking to people and working through differences. You see, the contrast again, the contrast is something self-serving. Verse 14, bitter envy. Envy is all about me, and bitter envy is when I've sat and thought about it for a long time. Self-seeking. Um, verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, the result is confusion and every evil thing. I need to be willing to yield. Is it possible that I was wrong in this thing that I'm about to talk about with this other person in my family, in my workplace? Could I possibly been wrong? Yes, and so I should approach it and say, I'm willing to yield because what I want is peace and what I want is God to be honored. Willing to yield. The next one is full of mercy. Full of mercy. Um, uh, Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy. I love that phrase. Rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And it goes on to talk about our salvation. Aren't you thankful God doesn't give you what you deserve every minute of every day? Now, think about that for just a minute. We all know that we sin. And God willing, we're in the habit of confessing our sin. Very soon after we do our sin... What if there was a five-minute span when we were thinking about it? And God just reached out and gave us what we deserve every time we sinned. No, God is merciful. He waits. He calls. Now, if we prolong, He calls a little louder, calls a little harder. Hebrews 12 says God's not going to let us walk in sin because that's not good for us. But God is merciful. Full. He is rich in mercy. He can afford to give it away. Are you rich in mercy? If you are, your wisdom is coming from God. Full of mercy. And then full of good fruits. The idea of fruit in Scripture always, re always relates to results. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of the Holy Spirit being in a person. And we come back to this passage we read at the beginning. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his part, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. There is no two ways about it. The wisdom that you have in your inner man comes out. And so if there is wisdom from God, then the result is that there is good fruit that comes from our wisdom. Without partiality. The word partiality literally means without judging. Now, we are mandated by God to use Scripture as a standard of judgment, but we may not go beyond that, especially to the idea of saying, well, you know, um, here's my favorite child, and so I'm going to be extra nice to them whether they deserve it or not, but here's a child I don't like too much. Uh, 
Uh, we watched this movie last night, The King's Speech, about the King of England having a speech impediment. And, and he said, when I was a child, my nanny didn't feed me. And it took my parents three years to figure out what was going on. That's partiality. No reason for that child to be treated that way. We need to look real hard at how we treat people and say, am I, am I even, am I fair, or am I partial? Do I have certain, certain favorites beyond God's standard? In other words, God says we should judge people, but by his truth, we should help them with his truth, but not beyond that. And then the last one, without hypocrisy. Um, the word hypocrisy, really, if we turn it around, it would mean sincere, to be sincere. When are our words insincere? Well, our words are insincere when we want to get something. comes back to that verse 14. Are we being driven by bitter envy and self-seeking, or are we being driven by God, and so we're able to just be open and honest with our communication, to be sincere in our communication? A couple of weeks ago, I got called by a deputy sheriff and asked to go to a certain place. And when he told me where he wanted me to go, I thought, oh, I know where that is. And so I packed up my stuff and headed off over there. And I got to right where I thought, I was, right where I thought he wanted me to go. And it was obvious there was nobody there, especially there was no deputy sheriff there. And so I thought... Oh, and so I checked back on the address. Oh, okay. So then I drove up the road. Now I know where I'm going. I'm driving down the road, and I'm looking at the mailboxes, and and the numbers aren't quite right. And so I drive back and forth several times. You know, that usually helps. And uh, <laughs> my wife wasn't there to blame, so i totally on my own. And so... I checked, I gave him a call. I said, I said, can I check that address one more time? Yeah, here it is. Da, 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 da. And I looked and I thought, oh, I'm on the wrong road. The road name changes. So I got on the right road and I'm driving down. The numbers are clicking off. I thought, okay, I'm going to get there now. And right at that moment, I looked at the GPS unit sitting on my dashboard, which was black, you know. Got it. What is wrong with me? I got, I got the thing that'll take me exactly where I want to go. All I have to do is take 30 seconds and punch that address in and hit, hit go. And, and I would have been, I would have not wasted probably 20 or 30 minutes driving around. There's a GPS unit for your thoughts and your words. And it's here. The question we have to ask is, are we going to turn it on? Are we going to open it up and say, God, my thinking, my wisdom needs to be changed so my words will come out godly? God has told us what we need. We need to be about that. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to open up the guide that you've given us. Help us not to just go on living like the people around us, but to really embrace your truth. Father, use your truth today. Speak it to people. Motivate them as you want to motivate them. Identify things as you want to identify them. Father, if there's some, some uh, friend here who's never believed in Christ, they've never gotten that new heart from Christ, 
Help them to want that today. Help them to believe today. I pray in his name. Amen.